evening, if you would please, Acts chapter 3, we'll begin reading in verse number 1. Acts chapter 3 and verse number 1. Acts chapter 3 and verse number 1. Let's all stand to our feet if we could please this evening in honor of the Word of God as we read these passages. Acts chapter 3 and verse number 1. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. A certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked, and entered with him into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. When Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, You men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified His Son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied Him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let Him go. And he goes on and preaches to them Jesus. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that You would please fill me with Your Holy Spirit. I pray that You would, that you would please anoint this service with power from on high. Father, I will do my best to preach Your Word, but my best is never enough. It has to be by your hand and your touch that your people are spoken to. I yield this service to you. I yield myself to you. I beg you, please, guide and direct my thoughts and my speech. And help us tonight as only you can. We pray this as we ask it in Jesus' name. And amen. You can be seated. I want to preach to you this evening on this subject. What they had to give what they had to give. Think about the statement that we have often read and heard preached. I've preached this passage many times myself and have heard it preached many times. But Peter says, Such as I have, give I thee. Peter had spent much of his life as a fisherman. We, we know the story that when Jesus found him, it sounds anyway like Peter was probably a struggling fisherman. He couldn't seem to do so well at his occupation unless Christ told him where to cast. He was struggling to make ends meet, but the one who was with him is John. 
Now I believe this John to be the same one who was also the son of Zebedee, who was also a fisherman, who gave his life to Christ when he was mending the nets of his father. And then the Bible says that uh, God had called uh, James and John and that they gave up their occupation also and followed after Christ. Now, we don't know how successful they were. We just know that they also gave up their occupation to do the will of God. So, uh, I believe this to be the same John. It seems to be the same apostle. I don't know why it would be anybody else. And so, Peter and John, they go up together into the temple and where they once at one point in their lives had maybe some monetary gifts that they could give to others. At this point, they have nothing. Why? Because they've decided to follow Jesus. And Jesus has taught them, you know what? Uh, Even when you go, He said, don't even take two coats. Don't even take uh, your purse for money in it. Not the kind of purses that we have today, a change purse, all right? Uh, Money back then was not uh, the kind that we have that is in paper format. It was all uh, in in, in the format of precious metals. And so uh, they would carry those things together, usually in some kind of a a leather pouch or something of that nature. And, And Jesus had taught them, look, when you go to do my work, I don't even want you to to take with you on this journey any of your possessions. I don't want you to take two coats. I don't want to take you want you to take any money with you. I just want you to trust me and while you go to do my will, I will take care of you. That is what they got themselves into and that is what they have dedicated their lives to. And now they show up at the temple and this guy's asking them for money and that's the last thing they have. He's asking him for alms. Now he's not just asking Peter and John, he's asking everybody that enters into the temple. But he sees Peter and John in verse number 3 about to go into the temple and he asks them alms. Does everybody see that in verse number 3? Who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple asked an alms. And Peter fastening his eyes upon him with John said look on us. Now I think verse 3 and verse 4 are kind of interesting because he saw Peter and John going into the temple and he asked of them alms. But then when they respond to him he's no longer looking at them because Peter has to tell them to look at him. Now I don't know why that is. He was just looking at Peter and John, to ask them for money. And then Peter says, look upon us. So I think probably what has happened here is that we're looking at a guy who maybe has asked many people for help financially in the past. And so he asked two guys that were passing through that way and didn't believe that they would do anything for him. So it was probably one of those things where he saw them and said, all right, I'll ask him, but it's probably not going to happen. And so, hey, can you guys spare any alms? And then he turned on to somebody else. But Peter heard him and actually acknowledged him. It's also possible that maybe he was ashamed. I don't know where this man was or exactly what was going on in his heart and mind, but I know he sees them, he asks, he's no longer looking at them, and Peter has to look upon him and say, look upon us, and then he gives them that response, such as I have, give I thee. Well, we know what they gave him, But what they had to give, God had to give them because they gave it all up. What this speaks to on so many different levels is what a person receives from God when they surrender and dedicate their entire life In this generation, 
we have maybe a greater need than I have ever seen before and maybe a more fertile soil than I have ever seen before as well. We have been saying this, and when I say we, I mean preachers have been saying this. People are starting to listen like I don't remember happening, man, in decades. People are starting to search like I don't remember people searching in a long time. And they don't even know what they're searching for. They think that what they need is an economy that is going to work out for them. And they're relying upon their jobs and their income and the cost of living has increased to the point that now uh, housing has become so expensive that it is literally out of reach for middle and lower income people. People are searching for something. I, I read the other day that I think the cost of, of rentals in most bigger cities is on average $1,300 a month. Now it may not be that around here, but when you listen to the talk show hosts and the, the news reels, and you listen to what people are saying that they need, they're saying that what we need is a president that can do this, and what we need is the Federal Reserve to do this, and what we need is this and that. People are searching for answers and they don't even really know that they don't know what they need. But when you bring to them the truth of the Scriptures and show them their need for a Savior, many times you see their eyes open like, wow, this is what I've been looking for and I didn't even know it. And that's what happens in this man's life. He thinks he has need of money. And Peter and John say, listen, I've got something for you that you cannot get from anybody else. And God had given them something to share with somebody else, and God needed a vessel to share that gift through. He needed somebody who could go to a dying man who had asked many people for help and say, this is what I can help you with. And what they had before, they didn't have now, but what they had now was greater than what they had before. What God gave them, they wanted to give back. You know, they had heard this from Jesus in Matthew chapter number 10 when He chose His twelve apostles out and then anointed them with power from on high to heal and to cast out devils and to do all of these different things. And He said to them in closing, freely ye have received, freely give. Right? And church, we have received the greatest gift known to man, and we've been given it freely? And this generation needs some people who are willing to dedicate their lives to something that people need that they don't even know they need. And I'm talking to all age groups. Not just the young people. Peter and John were adults when they gave their lives to Christ. And I don't know if in this room, everybody in here has at some point 
surrendered your will to God and dedicated your life to God and decided that His will is what you want for your life or if nobody has done it. But I am pleading with you whether you did it at one point and need to get rededicated to it or if you've never done it before, I am pleading with everybody in this room to understand what they had to give. What they had to give, they were willing and able to give back because it came from God. It didn't come from the world. You see... They gave up some of the things that the world thought the world needed so that they could give some things that the world didn't know that it needed. He said, such as I have, give I thee. We should live with a willingness to give what we have for a lost and dying world to come to Christ. We should be willing to give of ourselves. You see, the Bible tells us to become a willing sacrifice, which is our reasonable service. We should be willing to give of our money. That we should give it, give and it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. That we should give of our talents. That the talents that God gives to us, we should allow God to use those and develop them and give them back to Him. You see, this generation needs a group of people who have something that they don't have, who can give something that they don't even know they need. If you are gifted in an area, can I ask you, are you allowing it to be used for God? Calvary Baptist Church, and the, the older people that are here this evening that, that, that can tell all the stories about the, the, and I mean this respectfully, the good old days. Well, the good old days that they talk about, there was no money for the church. So, the good old days wasn't big bank accounts. It was the fact that there were people who had gifts and talents and they were willing to allow God to use their talents to do something big for the Lord in Campbell, Missouri. If you could work on motors, they helped keep the buses running every Saturday and Sunday, right? Had to work on those crazy things, it seemed. If you could teach a class, they chipped in and taught. If you had some musical talent, they sang and played for the Lord. If you could do construction, they helped build buildings and fix walls and they dedicated their times and they gave their gifts that God had given them to the Lord. And I want to know, how is this generation doing? I know what the last generation did. How is this generation doing? Are you truly able to say that you are using the things that God has given you gifts for for the Lord's purpose? We have talented older people. We have talented younger people. But it's going to take both sides of that equation to continue to stay dedicated to God. Everybody has something you can give and it needs to be given back to God and back to His service. <coughs> Break apart your will, your intellect, and your emotions and give them to God for His use. So often we want to hold on to our own plans. And we want to do what we want to do. And this generation needs some people 
who will surrender their will to God's will and say, God, here am I. Use me however you will. And that doesn't mean that God's going to call everybody in this room to missions or uh, to leave the church and go to another work. That doesn't mean that God's going to call everybody to preach or to evangelism or whatever the case may be. What it does mean is that you surrender your will to God and say, God, use me and use my talents and use my gifts. I want to be used in this generation. I want to be used for your will. Break apart your will and give your will to God. Have you ever truly surrendered your will to God and said, God, I want you to tell me what you want with my life. Break apart your will, your intellect, and your emotions. What is that? Your will, your intellect, and your emotions is your heart. God asks us to love Him with all of our heart. Yes? He asks us to give Him our heart. Well, that means that you need to give Him your will. That means that you need to give Him your mind, your thoughts, and submit them to Him. It is high time that we as a generation of Christians understand that there is a war for the mindset of people in this generation. It's time to understand that there is a war going on on social media to keep you so distracted that you're useless. That you're disengaged from your family. There is a war going on for seed thoughts that are being planted in the hearts and minds of young people and older people from all kinds of different angles, from false religions and false belief systems to political systems to the education system who is trying to reprogram the minds of an entire generation. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter number 10 and verse number 5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. In other words, allowing God to cast down some strongholds in our minds and replace those strongholds with His truths that whether they make sense to the world or not are still right. And saying, God, I surrender my thoughts to You. I'm going to keep them pure. I'm going to keep them right. Some of you young people need to determine that you're going to stop looking at some of the things that some of you older people need to determine that you're going to stop looking at some of the things you're looking at in privacy. It's a war for your mind. It's a war for the chemical composition of your body. Do you understand that... um, Oh, I want to be careful because we've got all ages in here. Do you understand that pornographic content releases chemicals into your body that will give you a feeling that is as addictive as the highest levels of drugs. That's not not just preacher talk, it's scientific fact. And what happens is, the more you look at stuff, the more addicted you get. And you never get satisfied, you always have to see more. And what you get is you get a, 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 a dopamine hit. And you don't understand what's going on, but you're getting a dopamine hit just like people get when they're on some of the strongest drugs that are known to man. And it keeps you addicted. And at some point, people actually can develop a chemical dependency on that. And I've heard preachers say that they've seen people come off of drugs and alcohol, but when they get into some of the deeper levels of pornography, they've never seen them delivered. Now, I will say this. I haven't seen that. 
But I know the man who said it, and he was in the ministry a long time as a pastor and dealt with a lot of people. I have seen people delivered from that. But I will say that it does become an addiction like anything else does. And some of you don't understand the devils and demons you're opening up your mind to. When people took off their clothes in the Bible, demons were always involved. Go look it up. Study it for yourself. There's demonic activity involved with that stuff. And what happens is you expose yourself to demonic oppression and demonic temptation. And you open up the chemical levels in your brain and in your body to addiction. Some of you need to determine right now that uh, what you can see on your phone is as dangerous as any type of drug that you have kept yourself from. And it will destroy your purity. It will destroy your ability to look at your husband and wife later on that you are saving yourself for, hopefully, with a pure mind. What you need to do is break off your will, break off your intellect, and give them to God and say, God, my mind and my thoughts are yours because I want them to be able to be useful in your service. Your emotions. Some of you need to be willing to trust God with your future. God does really care about your feelings. He really does. And some, if you're not careful, will surrender to your emotions and feelings instead of giving them to God and say, God, I trust you to treat me better if I will follow your will because we've got young people that are trying to make relationships work out because they're all up in their emotions and thinking they need a girlfriend or they need a boyfriend or they need to be married right now. And the truth is that you're letting your emotions get the best of you and you're following the command of your emotions instead of giving them to the Lord and trusting Him with them and saying, Lord, I will surrender my will to Yours and whoever You have for me at whatever point in the future that is, I trust You with it. Instead of trying to fulfill your feelings right now because your feelings are getting all out of whack. But it's not just for young people that are searching for a spouse. It's also the fact that people are living so much, if we're not careful, we have the tendency to live so much in our feelings and in our emotions they, that they can fly direct in contradiction with the Word of God and lead us out of the will of God because we're following our feelings instead of the will of God, instead of following the Word of God. It, it really doesn't matter how we feel about something. If God's Word says it and it's true, we should do it regardless of how we feel about it. I don't really feel like going to church today. We'll go anyway. Surrender your feelings. <laughs> well, I, I don't really feel like going to the mission field. Well, surrender your feelings. 
Well, I don't really feel like staying here in Little Campbell, Missouri. Brother Matt, I, I pleaded a couple of Sundays ago with, look, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a pastor called to a local independent Baptist church in a local community in America, and I have a burden for Campbell, Missouri and for this surrounding region. And so just as much as missionaries and evangelists are saying we need volunteers, I'm saying we need volunteers. And some, some young people just need to surrender your feelings to, you know what? Whatever you want for me, God, even if it means staying right here in Campbell, Missouri to serve the church that God has put me in. Some people can follow their feelings out of the will of God while they're trying to do the will of God because they just didn't want to stay home. I don't know why that's been on my heart the past couple services. It just has. It wasn't written in my notes. It just I said it. I hope it was of the Lord. I think it was. Listen, we hear all these great stories and testimonies. I'm not going to leave it alone. We hear all these great stories and testimonies about, about people that went to you know, whatever reaches of the world and God used them greatly there. And if God wants you there, surrender to that. I, home is where the will of God is. That could be in Africa or Asia or South America, wherever it is, you will not be content until you're fulfilling God's will, wherever that is. But some people become discontented because this is what you know. And familiarity sometimes does have a tendency to breed apathy, or some people say contempt, but I, I would say certainly apathy. And because you're familiar with your ministry, you're familiar with your town, you're looking across the fence and you hear testimonies of people serving in other ways and in other places. And I have seen some people surrender to the mission field who I don't believe were called. They just wanted by their emotions to go do what everybody else was doing and experience what everybody else was experiencing. Surrender your will, your intellect, and your emotions to God and say, God, I trust you with my feelings. I know that it will be better for me in the end if I just give my will to you. That's what Peter and John did. And then what they had to give back was so much more than what they had before. Brother Glenn said this morning, and I repeated it in the morning service, I want to repeat it again this evening, I'm probably going to repeat it for the rest of my life, because I just love the way the analogy was made. It makes so much sense. Denying self is transferring ownership to God. What used to belong to you because you were controlling your life, you were controlling your finances, you, were, you thought anyway, controlling all of those things, you decided to transfer ownership to God and say, God, they belong to you. It doesn't mean necessarily that you have to go sell your house and your car and everything and give it to the Lord like they did in the book of Acts, although if He tells you to, you should be willing to do it. But it does mean you in your mind and heart say, it doesn't belong to me anymore. I'm transferring ownership of all that I have to God. That's a great way to look at it. I had to add that to this. I've got it added to my Bible. I've got it added to my notes. I'm probably going to... Tattoo it on my forehead. <laughs> Just wanted to see if y'all are awake. All right, you're awake. That's good. That's good. <laughs> what they had to give was greater than what they could have given before. When they gave themselves to God, they had more to give. Peter was a struggling fisherman that every time he surrendered his will to God's will and he said, cast on this side of the boat, he caught something. Every time he surrendered his will to God's, he had more to give. Is everybody okay? 
I'll be done with this. In order to give the world what the world is looking for, we have to give up what the world has. Let me say that again. In order to give the world what the world is looking for, we have to give up what the world has. At one point, these men had the things the rest of the world around them had. They had jobs, they had careers, they had a life (laughs) that they thought made sense because everybody else was doing it. When they gave it all to God and decided He was the only one they wanted to follow and live for, and they gave it up for Him, that was when they found themselves in a place that they had what the world was looking for. We have to be willing to give up on the world's way of thinking concerning what makes sense. Living by faith doesn't always make sense to the world. Living for God doesn't always make sense to the world. And y'all, if if the Lord tarries is coming, the contrast between truly dedicated Christians and the world is going to get greater and greater all the time. If I may say it this way, and this is not good English, but if you stay dedicated to God because of the direction of the world, you're going to look weirder and weirder and weirder. Which means they're going to mock you more, which means you're going to feel more out of place, which means you're going to feel more uncomfortable if you think in a worldly way of thinking. Listen, they had to give up the world's way of thinking in order to gain a faith way of thinking. And once they got that, they were able to give people something greater than what they had before, and they were able to give the world what the world was looking for. They had to give up the world's way of thinking. They had to secondly give up the world's priorities. (coughs) The world's priorities, money, fame, popularity, wealth, things, stuff, financial security. To live for God, you'll have to be willing to give up some of those things in order to follow His will. It doesn't mean that God will make you give up all of those things, but you have to be willing to do it. Sometimes it is God's will for somebody to be a doctor because we need good Christian doctors. Sometimes it is God's will for somebody to be a politician because we do need good Christian politicians. I'm not one of those preachers that says that, that Christians ought to stay out of the political realm. Wrong. I think Christians ought to get involved in the political realm. We need it badly. I think we made a grave error when we said Christians shouldn't be involved in politics. We gave up the political realm to the world. But, only if that's what God wants you to do. You have to give up the world's priorities. Their priorities are money and fame and popularity. You know, to live for God, you'll have to be willing to be unpopular. You'll look different than the popular crowd. You'll talk different than the popular crowd. You'll have to turn down some of their get-togethers and their parties in order to stay right and take a stand. And they'll think you're weird, and you'll feel like you're weird because you used to do that, and now you're not doing it anymore. It's the fight of our flesh. We all go through it. It's hard to be popular when you're living in close proximity to the world and trying to live for God. It doesn't work. God's will is sweet and fulfilling and has more meaningful priorities than the things that the world is living for. 
You see, in order to give what the world was looking for, they had to give up what the world had. They had to be willing to surrender completely and wholly and say, Lord, I'm not living for the world's priorities anymore. I'm not living for the way that the world thinks anymore. I'm not living for the things that the world says are important anymore. I am going to live for You. How about some more meaningful priorities? Like the salvation of the souls of men. The building and work that is needed for a church. The fullness of of the Holy Spirit. How about priorities like holiness and right living? How about, how about priorities like raising our kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? How about priorities like meaningful, loving, and sacrificial relationships with our family members and our loved ones above all else? How about priorities like the development of our family relationships as opposed to the development of our bank accounts? Much more meaningful priorities. Living for God and being dedicated to His work and the life that He offers will turn us into people who have a lot more to give for the world, but we have to give up what the world has. We have to give up the world's sins. We have to give up the world's thinking. We have to give up the world's priorities. We have to give up the world's direction. We have to live completely and utterly separate from the world. By doing so, God turns us into better husbands, better wives, better mothers, better fathers, better kids, better employees, better bosses, and the list goes on and on and on and on. When you make God's priorities your priorities, and you give up on the world's priorities, what God makes out of you is much greater than what you'll ever make out of yourself. The world may mock or make fun of the life you've chosen to live for Christ, but much of the world is also searching for the things that you have. They're searching for eternal security. They're searching for peace in their homes. They're searching for peace in their lives. And when you stop living for the things of the world and start living for the things of God, you get what they want and you have something more to give. What people in the world get is often temporal pleasure and temporary happiness, but no permanent answers. Stay the course. Live for God. Live different from the world. Live dedicated to God's desires for your life. And you'll have more to give the world around you. The level of our dedication to God will determine the level of what we have to give back to the world. Three points. One. What they had to give was greater than what they could have given before because they gave it to God. Two, in order to give what the world was looking for, they had to give up what the world had. 
And three, what God gave them, they were willing to give back and use for His will. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that You would please take these truths and imprint them upon our hearts and upon our minds. Father, if there's anybody here tonight that is on their way to hell and they're unsettled, I pray that You would please help them to see that they need a Savior and that they can receive this evening exactly what they need. With heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around, I wonder how many of you would say this evening, Preacher, if I were to die right now, I know for a fact, no question in my mind, I'm settled. I know that I'm on my way to heaven. Would you slip your hand in the air in testimony of that fact? 